Welcome to the Liberty Podcast. We're so excited that you're interested in the teaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church. We're a multi-site church that exists to share the love of Christ across Northwest Indiana. If you're looking for a church home, please check us out at our website, findliberty.net. Thanks again for joining us as together we're transformed by the teaching from the Word of God. Well, this morning we are uh, taking a pause from the book of Luke and beginning a new series on sin. And we begin this series on sin on Mother's Day. And maybe you hear that and think, starting a series on sin on Mother's Day, this man's poor mother. Well, she'll be here later. You can express your condolences to her then. But first, let me explain myself. Uh, I want to say, if, if any of us have seen firsthand, have dealt with sin repeatedly and extensively, it is our mothers, because they dealt with us. Uh, But more importantly, I I am confident that that this is not going to be the series that you think it's going to be. We tend to see sin either as innocent indulgence, an extra piece of chocolate that you know you shouldn't, but not in a serious way. Or we think of sin as as an abusive idea. As Christopher Walken put it, a a theologian Uh, Sin is an intolerant way of imposing one narrow idea of right and wrong on other people. Maybe when you hear we are starting a series on sin, you assume all we're going to say over the next several weeks is you are bad. But the series is, is not that. The series is about asking the question, what if... What if the story the scriptures tell us about sin is is not one to shame us, but to set us free? And that's my belief. To come to grips with my sin is to begin a journey towards freedom. And I believe if, if you come with us in this series, keep an open mind, you will be set free. So we're going to start here this morning uh, with three questions. What is sin? What are we doing about it? And what is God doing about it? Uh, So first, what is is sin? Uh, In uh, the film that's quite old at this point, but Grand Canyon, an immigration attorney ends up on the wrong side of town, his car broken down. So he calls a tow truck, but as he's waiting, he's soon surrounded by five young street teens who begin to threaten his life. The tow truck shows up just in time, and the driver begins to to work on the broken-down car, but the, the teens protest. The truck driver is interrupting their plans, and so the driver pulls the teens aside and gives them this speech. The world ain't supposed to work like this. Maybe you don't know that, but this ain't the way it's supposed to be. I'm supposed to be able to do my job without asking you if I can. And that dude is supposed to be able to wait with his car without you ripping him off. Everything's supposed to be different than what it is here. That's a wonderfully concise definition of what sin is. Everything is supposed to be different than what it is 
here. Whatever you think of your idea of sin or wherever you're at in terms of your own faith journey, I'm, I'm certain you agree with that. This place that we live in, planet Earth, is not the way it is supposed to be. And so that raises the question, what is supposed to be different? And the whole of the scriptures answer that question, but uh, we're going to narrow in on one particular passage over the next several weeks, the one I just read, Genesis 3, verses 1 through 13. And maybe when you read that passage, you began thinking to yourself, this story has a talking snake. Am I supposed to take this seriously? And my hope is after several weeks of, of meditating on this passage, you will come to see this is actually a pretty powerful meditation on the human condition. It explains your human condition. Why you do the things you do. Especially why you do the things you wish you would stop doing. But also, it's important to note that Eve would not have assumed that she was talking with a snake. Back then, they knew animals didn't talk just like us. However, in the culture of this time, there were lots of stories where divine beings manifested themselves through an animal. And that's what we have here. Eve would have known she was talking to some, some sort of supernatural being through the snake. She's not talking to a snake. So to go back to our, our question, what, what does this passage tell us about what is supposed to be different here? Well, God, in, in Genesis 3, has created a garden, a home for human beings. It's a place of beauty and delight. And when God finishes making this world, he says of his world, this is very good. That's, if you've ever made like a really good meal and you sit back, you probably didn't even have the courage to say that, but you knew it. This is very good. Well, God, that's what God says of his world. And so then he creates a little corner of the world, a garden, where he places human beings and then he gives Adam a command in that garden. And here's the first command he gives to Adam in that garden. Genesis 2.16. You may surely eat of every tree in the garden. This is very good. And when I was in uh, Kansas City at my last church, there was a guy named Kenton at our church. And he was a generous guy. He had a home uh, with a pool, a fridge stocked with anything you would want to drink, and he was always having people over to his home just to share with them. And, and he was also a hunter. So every year he threw a feast where he cooked all of the different game that he had, had uh, hunted that year. You wanted to be invited to this feast. There was pheasant. And there was pheasant wrapped in bacon. There was duck. And there was duck wrapped in bacon. There was elk, and there was elk wrapped in bacon. And that's what God is doing in the garden, minus the bacon. You may eat all of it. Welcome to my home. But there is one exception. Verse 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. God sets up a feast and says, eat all of it except that. 
And this is immediately where people start getting tripped up and critiquing God. Why put the tree there? It seems like God is setting a trap. What kind of God would do that? Why such a weird command? But is it? Is it a weird command? Let's say you come over to my house right after church today, and I say, hey, listen, if you get hungry while you're here today, you can eat anything that you want, except for one thing. Uh, We're going over to my mother's house later for Mother's Day, and, and we've made my mom's favorite desserts, so please don't eat that. You can eat anything in my house, just not that. Are, is your first thought going to be, man, what a, what a jerk that I don't get to eat his mother's desserts? No, it's my house. It's my mother's desserts. You're the weird one if you think you get to come into my house and eat my mother's dessert on Mother's Day. And so here we're in God's home in Genesis, it's his garden. It's his home. It's filled with all kinds of beauty and goodness and food. And God places one boundary in his home for the man and the woman. And where do we find the man and the woman? Right next to the tree they weren't supposed to eat from. And this this divine being slithers up alongside them. They aren't enjoying the beauty or delight of God's creation. They're camped out right in front of the thing God has said, just just not there. And if after I, I tell you, hey, don't eat my mom's dessert, if I walk into the kitchen and you're like just loitering over the dessert, I'm going to be like, this is a strange person I've just brought into my house. They need to leave. God is not the strange one in this passage. Adam and Eve, human beings, are the strange ones in this passage. Thinking they have a right to everything in God's home. Thinking they can do whatever they want. When God has created them, he's placed them in the garden. So Adam and Eve, they eat. They eat the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. But it's not about the fruit. It's not about a tree. It's about walking into someone's home and vandalizing it. Doing what you were asked not to do. And so what is sin? What's wrong with us? What's different about the way things are supposed to be here? Well, Genesis 3 says we walked into God's home. Actually, we were placed in God's home. And we vandalized it. We took what's not ours. We broke our relationship with God. And that's important. Sin is not the the breaking of a random law. It is the destruction of a relationship. And this is the way... Cornelius Plantiga puts it, sin is not only the breaking of law, but also the breaking of a covenant with one Savior. Sin is the smearing of a relationship, the grieving of one's divine parents and benefactor, a betrayal of the partner to whom one is joined by a holy bond. Sin is smearing our relationship with God. By finding his expectations pathetic. His boundaries a joke. His world not as his, but as ours that we must take from him. My life not as a gift given from him, but as mine to do with what I want. Including smearing him and vandalizing his home. So what's wrong with us? What is sin? God offered us his communion. 
and we preferred to live alone. That's what sin is. And we're going to unpack that in a lot of ways over the next several weeks. But at its heart, sin is, God, leave me alone. Let me take what you've given to me and live it in my way. So that's, that's what sin is. So what are we doing about, about sin? And the short answer is we hide. Uh, that's what happens in verse 8. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God. as He was walking in the garden of the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God. Among the trees of the garden. Hiding. This pretty powerfully explains the world in which we live. And so there's lots of ways we could unpack this. I'm just going to name two. Two ways we hide as our response to sin. The first is we hide from God because we, conf- we refuse to confront the way we have broken the world. One of the best meditations on evil I think our culture has produced uh, is the, the movie The Dark Knight, the second in the Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy, where Alfred is explaining to Batman the, the Joker, the origin of his evil, and he just says of the Joker, some men just want to watch the world burn. That's the way Alfred explains the Joker. And, of course, we see that the evil of terrible people who joy in the destruction of the lives of others, who take uh, joy in the destruction of our world, the place of God's creation. But devastation, destruction, the vandalism of God's world doesn't just happen by tyrants who wreak their havoc on a large scale. If we are honest with ourselves, and this is where hiding comes in, because often we are not honest with ourselves. But if we are honest with ourselves, we... We would say we we take delight some days in the participation of vandalizing God's world. We enjoy the way our gossip destroys another person's reputation in the eyes of the person who's listening to us. We take delight in the way our anger feels. The power it gives us as we use our voice or our power to dominate people under our care. We watch in pride as we twist words to win an argument. We obfuscate the truth to put someone under our thumb because we're good at twisting the truth. If we're honest with ourselves, we could say those things. But a lot of times we're not honest with ourselves. We refuse to see that our anger is not just something we need to get under control. Our anger has vandalize God's world and harm the people around us. We refuse to see our words have vandalized the people in the world we inhabit. It's why in 1983 in his book, The People of the Lie, M. Scott Peck, a psychologist who became a Christian through his, his work, wrote a book entitled People of the Lie to explain sin and evil. And one of his primary arguments is that evil takes hold in people because they hide from themselves. Their conscience tells them you're on the wrong path. But rather than listen to our conscience, we hide from it. We refuse to listen. We refuse to give our conscience its due. It's telling us, look at the harm you're causing. And we say, no, I'm going to hide from that. And one of my deepest hopes for this series is that 
is that you will be set free to look honestly at yourself. To stop excusing, defending, and refusing to confront the way in which your sin makes this world not the way it's supposed to be. That we could stop hiding, refusing to confront our sin, but also stop hiding from God out of of shame. That's where I want to go next. So one, we hide from God because we... We don't want to look at the evidence of what our sin is doing in the world. But second, we also hide from God out of, out of shame. Because the other response to sin can be, you do see the way in which your sin has broken the world and the people around you, and, and now what? And for a lot of us, the next step is, is shame. We're overwhelmed. We're crushed and hopeless. And we think, no way God wants to hear from me now. Look what I've done. Until I start to clean up the mess I've created, no way God wants to hear from me. And maybe that's where you are this morning, why you fear this series, that all you're going to hear about over the next several weeks is is actually some of what I was just doing, uh, which is pointing out the mess that you and I have made of of the world. Look what you've done. Um, So I'll pause there. That's what we do in response to sin. We hide. Either refusing to confront the reality of what's happened in the world because of our presence, or we hide because we know what's happened to the world because of our presence, and we don't know what to do about it. So that's what we're doing about our sin. So what's God doing about about our sin? A few years ago, there was a, a New York Times article that was titled, Raising Children Without the Concept of Sin. Uh, the author's name was Juliet Shears, who actually grew up in Indiana in a pretty fundamentalist Christian background. And she explained why she, uh, now as, as a non-Christian, was not going to raise her daughter with the concept of sin, religion, any of it. And here's what she writes. Sin. That tiny word still makes me cringe with residual fear. Fear of being judged unworthy. Fear of the eternal torture of hell. God was a megaphone bleeding in my head. You're bad, you're bad, you're bad. I had recurring nightmares of malevolent wind tornadoes through my bedroom, a metaphor I now realize for an invisible and vindictive God. That's a pretty bleak picture. And I understand there there are passages of Scripture we're going to have to deal with through this series where God does take judgment on sin, where the idea of hell is present in the scriptures. We'll get there. But before we get to those passages, we need to stay in this passage. This is the first sin recorded in human history. So how does God respond? In fire? An angry tirade against the humans? Is the first thing God says to the people who have vandalized his world, look what you've done, how dare you? Well, let's, let's look together. The first thing God does in response to sin, verse 8 in chapter 3, I'll read this again. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? To be clear, God is not asking a geographical question here. 
He's not looking for the GPS coordinates of Adam and Eve because God is, he can't see them between the trees. Now, this, God, this is what God's way of asking, why would you hide from me? Where are you? Human beings vandalize God's home, break the faith with him. They want to take over Eden and run it their way. And what do we find God doing? Showing up as a wind tornado to shame them? No. And when you understand this moment, what's happening here, you're going to begin to find incredible freedom. The root of of why you and I are breaking this world around us is not because we're not trying hard enough to be good people. It's not because we lack the proper information to do the right thing. It's not because we're lost causes. It's because we're living a life that's disconnected from the Father. We're hiding from the Father, and so we don't know what to do. And when you hear God begin to ask you, where are you? And realize that the question of your Father to you is, is why aren't you with me? You'll finally have the freedom to stop hiding. You'll have the freedom to actually confront what, what's happened in the world because of your presence. And you'll know you never have to hide from the Father in shame. Because his, his aim in seeking you out is not to shame you and break you down, but to bring you home. So, what does it look like to stop hiding? Well, I'm going to give you three, th- three thoughts, and then as Dave Segrist gave me a hard time about two weeks, then I'll take my seat. But three thoughts first. Uh, first, you've got to lay down your arms. And for a long time, I thought uh, salvation meant I go to heaven when I die. Salvation is, is heaven. It's a place. But salvation is not heaven. Salvation is Jesus, the presence of God. And we have to be honest with ourselves. Do we really want to live in God's home? Do we really want to actually love our enemies? Because that's what happens in God's home. Do we really want to forgive those who have sinned against us? Because that's what happens in God's home. Do we really want to be generous to the poor? Do we want to be a person of gentleness? Do we want to be a person who's slow to speak, quick to listen? Do we want to be a person of of patience and self-control? That for heaven to, to have to make any sense to me whatsoever, I have to want the world that Jesus wants. I have to be placed in the garden and say, yeah, I'll eat all of that. And I don't need that one thing because I got all of this in the presence of God on top. And so for heaven to make any sense, for Jesus to make any sense, I have to, I have to make the confession, he's God, not me. And it's why C.S. Lewis said this, fallen man is not simply an imperfect creature who needs improvement. He is a rebel who must lay down his arms. And that's hard work. But it will set you free. And to illustrate, I recently uh, got up early in the morning to leave, and I, uh, a family member was visiting with us at the time, and I backed my car right into hers. <clears throat> Dinner or bumper. It was early in the morning, so I was going to have to wait a few hours before I told her because I wasn't going to wake her up with that news. Um, but right after it happened, as I'm driving off uh, to do the work of being a pastor, I meditated on how this was everybody's fault but mine. It was her fault for parking in the wrong spot. It was Misty's fault for being out so late the night before that I lost sleep. So because I was less awake, I wasn't fully coherent, and then I backed the car. It's really Misty's fault. 
It was also my kids' fault. I actually don't know how it was their fault, but I tried to come up with a reason. <laughs> and this, I'm running all this through my head. I just, I just laid down my art. It's my fault. I'm in a hurry. I'm always in a hurry. I need to slow down. And that open space for God to speak into my life, kindness and grace. Hey, I'm not asking you to be in a hurry. But it had to all start with me stopping blaming other people for what's my fault. When you lay down your arms, what you'll find time and time again is the kindness of God. So lay down your arms first. But second, you got to spend more time talking to God than about God. You exist as a human being to commune with the living God, the Father. But can I tell you something? One thing I, I noticed about our prayer times or our worship services as Christians, we spend a lot of time talking about God and much less time talking to Him. That's what's happening in Genesis 3. Eve is having a theological discussion with a supernatural being that's talking through a snake. And rather than pause, maybe I ought to talk to God instead of the snake being she has a theological discussion with the snake being rather than just go right to the source. And so I want to encourage you, if you want to learn how to pray, go to the Psalms. I'll actually do a few weeks on, on how to pray through the Psalms this summer. Again, because the Psalms teach us how to pray because the Psalms are about talking to God. And I love the way Eugene Peterson puts it. Our habit is to talk about God, not to Him. We love discussing God. The Psalms resist these discussions. They are not provided to teach us about God, but to train us in responding to Him. To stop hiding from God, we need to speak to Him. Cultivate communion with God. And so I've told this story before, but it's my favorite, uh, one of my favorite stories. And so I've got to continue to make up for talking about sin on Mother's Day. So I'm going to tell you my favorite Susanna Wesley story. Uh, Susanna Wesley had 19 children. 19. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> and you can imagine the chaos of her house, only added by her husband who, uh, whose failures landed him in prison, which meant she was single mothering it for, for much of her motherhood. But she had a rule that whenever one of her kids found her in the kitchen with her apron over her head, she was praying, leave her alone. I mean, that's the opposite of hiding from God. In the midst of the chaos of life, the kitchen of 19 children, family, threw the apron over to experience the presence of God. And so one of the prayers that defined her life was, was this. Help me, Lord, to remember that religion is not to be confined to the church, nor exercised, in prayer, nor exercised only in prayer and meditation, but that everywhere I am in thy presence. To follow Jesus is to seek the presence of God, to talk to him, not about him, no hiding. But that does raise the question, well, okay, well, we lay down our arms and we want to go talk to God. What's he going to do with us rebels? How do we know that when we put the apron on our head, he will hear us? He'll listen. And that's where we'll end. That, the third thing, receive the Father's covering. When we lay down our arms, we are, we are exposed. And we see that in this, this passage. The thing 
Adam and Eve learn about themselves is that they are, they are, are naked. And that can be taken a whole lot of weird directions. The, the primary thing that, that it's speaking to for our, our morning's sake is they know they are exposed and vulnerable before living God. And so what does God do? He covers them. The thing that causes them shame, that, that makes them hide from God, he covers them. But that causes the first death in the story. An animal has to give its life so that Adam and Eve can be covered to commune with God once more. Their shame, nakedness, vulnerability, exposure, it's covered by the death of something else. And so in the story that explains our sin, our vandalism of God's home, we find God tracking down human beings in grace and then something else giving its life, dying, so that we can commune with the Father again. Can I just say, wherever you're at this morning, whatever you've done, this story should dispel any notion that God does not want to hear from you. There is nothing you can do that God can't cover that he can't welcome you home in. So whatever this series is going to be, it's not going to be about just repeating we are bad over and over again. We're going to have to, to meditate on that a little bit. But my belief is the, the further you meditate on, on your own brokenness, the closer you get to the gospel because now you can begin to see there, there's nothing God can't cover in your life. Because if you follow this thread, this idea, something dies so that human beings are covered, you follow that thread all the way through the story of the Scriptures, and it's an interesting thread. In the Exodus, it's a, it's a lamb who has to be sacrificed so the firstborn of the Israelites, they don't perish, and they can, they can go out into freedom to worship their God out of slavery. It continues on in the sacrificial system in Leviticus and Numbers you provide a sacrifice for the Lord and, and he looks away and you can dwell in his family, his community. You can be in his tent. Uh, it continues on and on until we come to the person of Jesus who goes to a cross. His body is given for us. His blood for shed for us. And now we have something better than an animal's skins covering our shame and nakedness and vulnerable. We have... We have the life, the death, the resurrection, the power of Jesus covering over whatever we have done wrong. And so when we follow that thread line all the way to Jesus, what we find is the Son of God not just asking, where are you? Not just like leaving heaven to come down and find wherever you are. We find the Son of God giving His own life, His own blood, His own skin so that you and I could be covered. And then in covering us, his life being the sacrifice that covers our shame, Jesus goes much further than what we see in Genesis 3. The Jesus invites us back into the full communion with the Father, so much so that the central image of salvation, in my humble view, is communion, is a table feast with the Son of God, so that you could know, listen, this isn't, this isn't just you're saved and, and you've been forgiven, now you better do your best until, until I come back. No, it's come to my table again and again and again. It's why we do it every week. The only th If you walk out of this room remembering anything this morning, it's, it's this, Jesus has covered you so that you can come to his table. And, and whatever you do this week, that invitation is going to be here again next Sunday. Whatever happens, it's his blood, it's his life, that covers you to get you to his table. Where Jesus says to us, this is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. That's your covering. 
to bring you back to the table, the true feast, the communion with God. We lost when we started breaking and vandalizing His world. And so now let's, let's stop hiding and join Him at His table. Let me pray for us. Father, communion is, is the one word we can, can say is thank you. We are invited to your table, covered, our, our sin, shame, vulnerability, exposed to the world. It, it's covered by what Jesus has done for us. And so now, would you, would you free us to be honest about ourselves, where, where we're at in the world today? How our sin is, has brought brokenness, has meant this world isn't the way it's supposed to be. So that we can stop hiding from you. We can reintroduce communion, our our communion with you. That we might live a new type of life. In the presence of, of, of you, our Father, through your Spirit, through the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of your Son, Jesus. Make that true in our hearts now as we come to your table, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being with us today. If you'd like more information on our church or a place to connect, you can check us out on the web at findliberty.net.